continuing in our sermon series on joy and today we're going to be talking about something that you might not think about when you think about joy we're going to be talking about holiness and we're going to do that from the book of Nehemiah Nehemiah chapter 8 this is what's going on God's people have they've been in exile and then they come back to the land and they're trying to rebuild and reestablish. And while they're doing that, they found out that they have been failing to live up to the standard that God has as Ezra le- reads the word. And that's what we're seeing here in Nehemiah 8. So this is God's word. Let's hear what he has to say. Starting with verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women, and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Maasiah on his right hand, and Pedadiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Mashuam, Hashbadiah, Zechariah, and Melshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and he opened it, and as he opened it, all the people stood, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Serabiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, and Pelaiah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. 
And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Let me pray for us. Father, we are thankful for your word. Apart from it, we would go in all kinds of crazy directions. But with your word, we have light to our path, and we know where the straight and narrow leads us. We know where you are taking us. And because of that, We rejoice. We're thankful. And today, just as the people of Israel understood the words that that Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites were saying, please cause all of us to hear and understand and put into practice what you're calling us to be as your people. And we pray this Lord Jesus, in your name and for your glory, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, our one true God. Amen. Years ago, an article was written by a man named uh, Daniel Fernandez. You may not know that name, and he's not necessarily important to the story, but he wrote an article called Unlikely Pairs, Foods, that shouldn't be good together, but they are. Foods that shouldn't be good together, but they are. And here's a list, and I'm not going to read them all, but some of these I'm not so sure about. Like peanut butter and mayonnaise sandwich. Apparently, this is rumored to have started during the Great Depression in the South because... They didn't have enough money to pay for other things, so there's plenty of peanut butter, there's plenty of mayonnaise, put them together, you got a meal. Another one, now I'm going to try this one one day, apple pie and cheddar cheese. I know, it sounds weird, but apparently there's this scientific thing called flavor layering, and when you flavor layer, it starts... um, getting synapses in your brain to start the pleasure synapses to go firing, and you get more enjoyment out of it. So next time I get apple pie, instead of putting some ice cream on top, cheddar cheese right on top. Another one, pizza and bananas. Now some of you already think that pizza and pineapple is terrible. I disagree with you. But pizza and bananas, you may not have heard of that. In Sweden, this is the way they eat their pizza, apparently. In fact, they have what's called the Tropicana pizza. It is topped with, and this is for real, you can look this up, tomato sauce, okay, cheese, okay, ham, all right, pineapple, some people like that, some people don't, curry, and bananas. And they love it there. It's their way of eating pizza. 
Other things that he included on the list that I'll go through very quickly, olive oil poured over ice cream, watermelon and feta cheese. Another one I'm going to try, chocolate chips in your grilled cheese sandwich. I don't know. I think that sounds pretty good myself. And then finally, hot dogs and applesauce. Just chopping up your hot dog and putting it in your applesauce. Now, according to the article, these foods may not sound like they go together, but they do, according to the article. Today, we're going to be talking about two things that people often think don't go together. Holiness and happiness. Holiness and happiness. And by the end of our time together, I hope you will see that holiness and happiness harmonize. Holiness and happiness harmonize. Maybe you hear that and your automatic reaction is negative. Like if you heard that Lauren Daigle was going to do a duet with Slipknot. Or if you're from a different generation, Bill Gaither was planning to do, become a member of Insane Clown Posse. Yeah, everybody goes, I don't know what an Insane Clown Posse is, but I know Bill Gaither has nothing to do with that. Neither of these combos sound good because they seem so diametrically opposed to each other, and that's the way we tend to think about holiness and happiness. They don't go together. They're opposed. But take a closer look at what happens here in Nehemiah 8. To get us into verse 9, Ezra reads God's law to the people. And the Levites explain it to make sure that everybody understands. And then in verse 9, Nehemiah, who's the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, they say to everyone... This day is holy. This one, the one we're in right now, the one where we're reading from this word of God, the law of God that you are hearing, this day is holy. It's holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn. Don't weep. Because all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. I'm sure that part of what was going on was they said, oh, I hear this word and I know that I'm not living what that says. I know that God has said these things and I am not measuring up. But Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites, they say, no, 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 no. There's a time for mourning. This isn't the day. Not today. Today is a holy day before the Lord. Don't mourn. Don't weep. Instead, verse 10... Go your way, eat the fat, get the good stuff, drink the sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And, and don't be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
You see, what he's saying there is, yeah, this is a holy day, so what you should do is celebrate, eat the good stuff, drink the wine, and then spread that goodness to other people who don't have the fat and the wine so that they too can celebrate. This is a holy day of celebration before the Lord. And then in verse 11, we read, So the Levites calmed all the people, and they said, Be quiet. Not be quiet because you need to be quiet to be holy, but be quiet because you've been grieving, you've been mourning, you've been crying. Don't be quiet, for this day is holy. Don't be grieved. And then in verse 12 we read, And all the people, all the people, they heard this, they understood it, and they went out and they made merry. They had a party. They celebrated. And they spread that party throughout the whole land. They made sure that everybody had some fat to eat and they had some wine to drink. And they celebrated. I've really started to get into a guy named Octavius Winslow. And if you don't know that name, I, I don't blame you because I really didn't know who this guy was until this past year. But as I've started to read his materials, I have found he is so good for my soul. And here's a quote that he has from his, his book, The Precious Things of God. Here's what he says. God would make us happy but he can only make us happy by making us holy. Let me read that just part, that part again. God would make us happy. In other words, God wants us to be happy, but the only way we can truly be happy is by being holy. Happiness and holiness are cognate truths. They are relative terms. In other words, they relate to each other. They are twin sisters. He must be happy who is holy. He must be happy who is holy. Sin is the parent of all misery. Holiness, the root of all happiness. And some of us are hearing that and going, I've never heard anything like that before in my life. That does not sound right to me. That's the way I was raised. That does not sound right to me. Holiness and happiness don't go together. God doesn't want me to be happy. He wants me to be holy. That's what I heard all my life. I've even preached that message before. And you know what? I was wrong. I was reading the scriptures incorrectly. And praise God, he showed me the truth from his word. And this passage was part of the reason why, from Nehemiah, he helped me to see that holiness and happiness are not diametrically opposed, they are together. You see, one of the reasons why we doubt this truth, that holiness and happiness harmonize, one reason we doubt it is that we misunderstand holiness. We misunderstand it. To be holy means to be set apart. It means to be set apart for a special purpose. Like, you know those dishes that you have that you don't use every day, but you set them apart for like when special guests come over? 
maybe that fine china that you don't even use, it's just there on display. It's set apart for a special purpose. That's what it means to be holy, to be set apart. And God is holy. He is set apart from the creation. He's not a part of the creation. He's the creator who created everything. So he's set apart. He's set apart from the limitations of his creation. God doesn't have limitations. He can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. And God is set apart from sin. God never does something that is wrong. He never does something that is unrighteous. He never does anything that is unjust. That is who our God is. He is holy, meaning he is set apart. And like we sang today, he is holy, 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 because he is set apart in so many ways from who we are and what we're like, it's hard for us to grasp what he's really, really like. So when God calls us to be holy, he's basically saying, I want you to be set apart for a special purpose. And you know what that special purpose is? I want, God is basically saying to all of us, I want you to be mine. I want you to be my people. I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to be a part of who I am and what, I'm, what I care about and what is good to me. I want that to be what is good for you. That is what it means to be holy. But I dare say that when we hear the word holiness, or at least some people, when they hear the word holiness, here's what they think of. Solemn and somber. you got to make this face. This is holiness. Quiet and still. That's holiness. For some people, when they hear the word holy, they think judgmental and prudish and condescending. That's not great. For some people, when they hear the word holy, they think boring that sounds so boring. And there's some people who, they, they know a little bit about the scriptures and they know how Isaiah responded when he saw the Lord lifted high and he heard the angel saying, holy, 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 and he fell down and he said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I, am a, I live among a people of unclean lips. And I've seen the Lord. And so they think holiness is scary. That's the way... We generally think about holiness in our culture, in our society today. What do you think of when you think of holiness? If we were to do a poll today, and I was to ask all of you, what are the top three words you think of when you hear the word holiness? I don't know what you might say, but I can guarantee you some words that will not be on your list. Enjoyable. Celebrative. Definitely not fun. Right? But remember what we saw in Nehemiah 8. 
They said, this day is holy to the Lord. And they celebrated that. They enjoyed God. And he, in fact, he even said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Right? See, we, we come to passages like, and I'll, hopefully this will, you'll be able to understand this um, as I, I explain it, but we come to passages like Leviticus chapter 9. Leviticus is all about holiness. Okay? And in Leviticus chapter 9, Moses and Aaron, they went into the tent of meeting. That's uh, when they were in the wilderness. And, and they, they came out and they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared. The glory of God appeared to all the people and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when they saw, all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. And you know, the way we read that, we go, I know why they shouted. They were scared out of their mind. They were terrified. They saw fire coming out of the sky and burning up something and they were like, ah! And they fell on their face. You like that scream, don't you? You know what? You know what that word is for shout? I, I don't normally do this kind of thing, okay? I, I don't normally do this because I don't like to, um, yeah, I went to seminary. Yes, I studied Greek and Hebrew. And I don't like to pull that out because I don't, I don't, I want to be more understandable. And I don't want to pretend like I am better than you because I am not. Just because I understand a few Hebrew or Greek words does not make me better than anyone. But it does help me to understand the scriptures in a clearer way. And you know what that word is for shout? It's the Hebrew word ranan. And when that word is used over and over in scripture, it is not shout in terror. It is shout with joy. In fact, it's the same word we see in Psalm 33, 1 that says, Shout for joy in the Lord. Oh, you righteous, praise benefits the upright. That's not solemn and somber. That's not quiet and still. That's shouting for joy. That's happiness. Right? Or Psalm 20, verse 5, May we shout for joy, Ranan. Over your salvation. And in the name of our God, set up our banders, banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. And then my favorite one of all the passages that I looked at using the same word is Isaiah 12, 6. Because it connects shouting for joy, singing for joy with holiness. Isaiah 12, 6. Shout and sing for joy. Renan. O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. You see the connection? What he's saying is, you ought to be happy, you ought to celebrate, because the Holy One, the one who's set apart from creation, the one that is set apart from sin, has come to be in your midst. He's with you. He's right here in your midst. And He is not destroying you. He's not angry with you. He loves you and he wants you to become holy like he's holy. Celebrate that. That's what that passage is saying. And that's what they're saying in Nehemiah. Celebrate the fact that a holy, holy, holy God who could 
on any moment, burn all of us up to a crisp in his judgment, says, no, I want to be in your midst as your father who loves you and cares for you and takes care of you and meets your needs. That's some good news, right? The only reason that we think that holiness is scary is because we want to hold on to our sin. Let me say that again. That's not a point, but it's something that we need to remember. The only reason holiness is scary is because we want to hold on to our sin. See, when Isaiah, and I don't have this passage in the slide, so forgive me for that, but when Isaiah, when he saw the Lord and he said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the Lord, the holy, holy, holy one said, let me take this censor and let me cleanse you of your sin. And that's what we see every time someone reacts to the holiness of God. God basically says, let me take care of that for you. Don't be afraid. I've got this. The only reason holiness is scary is because we would rather have our sin than God. In fact, Psalm 1611 tells us this beautiful picture of what it's like to be in the presence of God if you love Him. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Not a little bit of joy. Not a speck of joy, not a spark of joy. No, fullness. The full measure of what joy can be is found in the presence of God. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so the other reason why we might think that holiness is not scary but boring, maybe we haven't experienced the real thing. You know, we show up on a Sunday morning like this and we get dressed up and we like sing our songs and we do all our things and we're worshiping the holy, holy, holy God. And if we think that's boring, maybe it's because we really haven't experienced what holiness is really like. Because that is not boring. The holy, holy, holy God saying, I want you to come into my presence and worship me. I want you to be here. That's amazing. That is such a gift that God has given to us. It's very similar to what C.S. Lewis says in his letters to an American lady when he says, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, and perhaps like you, I've met it only once, it is irresistible. If even 10% of the world's population had it, would not the whole world be converted and happy before a year's end? I think he's right. If the world really got a glimpse of what true holiness would be, they would either run for their lives in fear because they want to hold on to their sin, or they would want to say, I want that. I want that. All right, I know we're running short on time here, but we've we got a few more points to make. 
So bear with me. Another reason we doubt the connection between holiness and happiness is not just because we don't understand holiness well. The other reason is because we misunderstand joy. I'll try to be, to be brief about this point because I've, I've already touched on this before, but um, Oswald Chambers, and, and some of you may be Oswald Chambers fan. He wrote a book called uh, My Utmost for His Highest. Great book, very influential, got lots of good stuff in it, but I do disagree with Oswald on this thing. You know, I'm calling him Oswald because we're tight. Um, he says, joy, joy should not be confused with happiness. In fact, and this is, this is my favorite line, it is an insult to Jesus Christ to use the word happiness in connection with him. I think that's really sad. But he doubles down in his next, in his another book, uh, God's Workmanship and He Shall Glorify Me, where he says joy is not happiness. There is no mention in the Bible of happiness for a Christian, but there is plenty said about joy. So, what did I do? I looked it up in the Bible. Does happiness ever show up? Here's one. Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. And somebody might say, well, that's the ESV. Oswald used the King James Version. You know, the authorized version. Okay. And, you know, he also said that Jesus is an insult to say that happiness and Jesus should be used in the same sentence. Well, Jesus himself in John 13, 17, King James Version says, If ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. And if you're going, well, maybe Oswald just, he didn't read the King James. He read the Greek and the Hebrew, and so he was very literal in the way he was translating things. So I went to the NASB, because that is one of those books, that's one of those translations where they are very literal, very specific about how they explain every word, right? How they translate it. And here's what you find in that one. Romans 14, 22. The faith that which you have have as your own conviction before God, happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Look, folks, I am not a Greek or Hebrew scholar, but I do know this. Johnny Erickson Tata is right when she says, we're often taught to be careful of the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness, is, it is said, is an emotion that depends upon what happens. Joy, by contrast, is supposed to be enduring, stemming deep from within our soul and which is not affected by the circumstances surrounding us. Here's what I agree with. I don't think God had any such hair splitting in mind. Scripture uses the terms interchangeably along with words like delight and gladness and blessed. There is no scale of relative spiritual values applied to any of these. Happiness is not relegated to fleshly-minded sinners, nor joy to heaven-bound saints. See, that's part of the problem, church, is that people outside of the church, they want happiness 
And we all want happiness, but they're pursuing it in the wrong ways, and we're pursuing God, but we say it's not about happiness. You see how messed up that is? Joy and happiness are basically the same thing. They're at least overlapping constructs. So let's get it out of our mind that God wants us to be holy, but he doesn't care about our happiness. That's just not true. God wants us to be holy so that we will be ultimately happy. That's the truth. And that's what we see in this verse, right? Verse 10. When they said, go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. Don't be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And again, I know we're short on time now, but please, please, please listen to this next point. Because this is where this all comes together. The good news we can celebrate is that our holiness and our happiness connect in Jesus. Our holiness and our happiness connect in Jesus. We read in this passage how God was in their midst and they were not to grieve, they were not to mourn, but they were to rejoice. Why? Because God had accepted them. God had accepted them as His people. And if you are in Christ, hear this. God has accepted you. God now sees you, like we sang today, as clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. You are holy to God because he has set you apart for himself and he purchased you with the death of his son. Jesus willingly went to the cross and paid the penalty for your sin to give you that status of holy before the Lord. Now, do we continue to grow in holiness? Yes, we do. But ultimately, overall, if you are a believer in Christ, you are set apart for God. You're holy. While also being unholy. It's like Luther said, a dunghill out in the, um, in the field covered with snow. That's what we're like to God. Got a lot of messed up stuff inside. But Christ covers us. We're in Christ. And because we're in Christ, God accepts us fully. He doesn't look at us and say, no, you don't measure up, so I'm going to reject you. He doesn't look at us and say, no, you got to get it right before you can come to me. No, he says, come to me. Come. And I would say that to anyone here who doesn't believe. If you hear the Holy Spirit whispering in your ear right now, come to Jesus. God will accept you in Him. Come. Do it. If you want, if you want to talk about that more, I would love to talk to you about that. And anybody in this room would love to talk to you about it. And it's that sense of being holy, being accepted, being known, even in our messes and still loved, that brings us great happiness. Right? I have never been more happy in my life 
than knowing someone knows me fully. All my messes, all my junk, all the stuff I would never want to repeat out loud, and yet they still can look me in the eye and say, I love you, and I accept you, and you're mine. See, happiness and holiness connect in what Jesus has done for us. And that's good news. And just like the people in Nehemiah's day, that they spread the good around. That's what we need to do, church. We need to spread this good news that God accepts sinners in Jesus. If you have Jesus, you're right with God and you're accepted. That's some good news. So your action point, and I'm going to be very specific on this one today because I still believe there's some of us who we hear it, we may even nod our head and go, yep, 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 that's right, but as soon as we leave this place, we're going to forget it. Or we're going to go back to old ways of thinking. All right, so here is your specific action point. Ask the Holy Spirit to make the connection between holiness and happiness, the one that we have in Christ, more vividly real in your life. Ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, please make the connection between holiness and happiness vividly real in my life so that I see it so clearly I can never go back. I shared with Donna um, a few days ago, I had this dream. No, this isn't a prophetic dream. and We're not going all charismatic or anything, okay? You know, it was just a dream. And I woke up from it and I wanted to share it with someone because it was so vividly real. It was, Donna and I had gone up to Canada, of all places, and we were kayaking, for some reason, in a river that was going outside of uh, Canada and into the Atlantic Ocean. And when we got to the Atlantic Ocean, the water was so blue, so vividly blue, almost like a fluorescent blue. And it was so beautiful, it was overwhelming to me. And in my dream, I was like, Donna, Donna, do you see this? It's amazing, it's amazing, look at it, look at it. And I was trying to share that with her, and you know, it just doesn't translate. That's what I want for every one of you when it comes to seeing the holiness of God. That we would see it as so vividly real and see how the connection between holiness and happiness is so vividly real that we would go, look at it. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it wonderful? Don't you want more of that? And you can have that in Jesus. So folks, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate with holy happiness the gift we have in Jesus. Let me pray for us that we'll be able to do that. Holy Spirit, make the connection between holiness and happiness more vividly real in our lives, that when we look at you and recognize how you are holy, 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 we'll also recognize how you have called us and set us apart, made us holy in Jesus. 
and that our joy would expound and that we would go out and share that joy with everybody we know. Make that a reality, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.